What most of you probably don't know is that Thursday, I said, hey, can we change all the songs and y'all lead all of them and I'm going to preach instead? <laughs> and they said, sure, what are we doing? And they did it and uh, they didn't miss a beat. Well, they might have missed a beat. I don't know. Nathan's usually right on it, though. I'm so grateful for all the people that we have throughout this church who serve every single week and point us towards Jesus, whether that's up here or in the parking lot or with our kids or with our students or wherever you might be plugged in serving. Thank you for where you serve and where you're plugged in and how you're pointing people to Jesus every week. We are so grateful for you. And I just want to kind of talk about the elephant in the room for a minute. I am not Pastor Andy, right? The fact that there's color in my shirt should have been a dead giveaway. (laughs) I don't have time for jokes like that. I really need to move on. In all seriousness, uh, I, I know over the last few weeks, he's kind of been letting us know that his mom has not been doing well. He got a call this past Wednesday afternoon, evening, uh, letting him know that she's really not doing well. And so he is with his family right where he is supposed to be. And uh, they are there, hopefully sharing memories and just talking through life and being together. And my hope is through this season in their life, they will grow even closer together and closer to who he is and who he's called them to be. But I'm going to ask you as his church two things. Can we, can we pray for our pastor this week? I hope you already pray for your pastor as he leads us and follows the, the voice of God. But would you lean in a little bit harder over these next coming weeks and just pray for him and his family that, that God would just bring peace and comfort and continue to pour out his favor in their life. And then the second thing I want to ask you is can we not overwhelm them right now with texts and messages on Facebook and all that kind of stuff? Can we just let them be family for a little bit and be together and, uh, and do what family does. And, and when he's back with us, we will love on them. We will be with them. We'll do all of those things. Can we do that today, church? Is that okay? Awesome. Thank y'all. If you didn't know, you were awesome. You really are. And I'm not excited about why I get to speak today, but I'm really excited about what I get to speak about today. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been in this Who is Jesus message series. And we're just going to kind of hit pause on that because I had about 12 hours to prepare and I did not want to jump into something like that uh, without really having a little bit of meat behind it. And so I pulled, we're going to hit pause on that for a minute. And I just, I want to share with you kind of one of my favorite stories in scripture. Uh, It's one of those stories where God shows up and he rescues his people and he's there in the middle of what seems like one of the worst moments of their life. He shows up and he rescues them. And so just in case you didn't grow up in church like me and you haven't heard this story a hundred times, I'm going to do the Matt recap version real quick. Is that okay? Okay. That was the only option you really had. Um, (laughs) Uh, so really, really quick, there were these three guys, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah, right? They were born, they were Jewish, Jewish guys. They grew up Jewish. They grew up worshiping the one true living God, the same God we come in here and talk about, right? The God that like, somehow etched the Ten Commandments into stone, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that God, right? They, they grew up worshiping that God. That is the God that they served, the God that they were faithful to. And then this, this kingdom kind of started to arise uh, Babylon, and they, they would go around and they would start taking all of the best and brightest and most, you know, like the strong guys. And then, you know, basically, as you look around the room, all the guys in the room, they would take all of those guys and they would take them to Babylon and they would try to kind of indoctrinate them into their culture. And, and one of the first things they would do is they would change their names so that they wouldn't remember, you know, who, who they are and where they came from and the God that they serve and all those things. And so they would try to indoctrinate them. And so they changed their names. And for these three guys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I just saw the light bulb turn on for a few people like, oh, I know this story, right? And the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is really, it's a story of faithfulness to God. And the reason I love their story is God shows up and he rescues them. If you don't know the story, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king at the time, he has this great idea to have a statue built, a giant gold statue built 
And, and every time that music played, right, and that's pretty much all the direction he gave, every time that music played, people were supposed to turn and bow down and worship this golden statue that he put up. And so long story short, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, that's, that's where I've got to draw the line. And if I had to name this message something, that's what I'd call it. That's where I have to draw the line. And so they draw their line and they say, no, we can't do that. And some of the king's men, they find out, they tell on him. The king gets mad. He gives him one more chance, right? Gives him one more chance to bow down to this giant statue. They say, no, sorry, that's where we have to draw the line. And so he gets furious. He has them heat the fire up in this furnace seven times hotter, right, than it was originally. So hot that when, when the people went to throw them into the fire, the people that threw them in, they got burned up, right? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get thrown into this furnace, and then a few moments later, the king, he looks in and he asks what seems like a ridiculous question. Didn't we throw three guys in the fire? And, you know, without trying to make him sound really dumb, his people answer, yeah, obviously we, we did throw three people in. And he says, well, then why do I see four men walking around in the fire unharmed and one of them looks like a god? And that's one of those moments where you get excited and you go, yeah, there's my god. He showed up. He did something, right? And so the king calls in and he calls them out of the fire. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you guys come on out of there. End of the story, King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, surely there is no other God that can rescue like this. And that's the mat recap of the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm going to mess their names up today at some point, story, right? And it really is a story all about faithfulness. It's a story about where they said, I, I have to draw the line right here. And the reason I love this story is God shows up because of their faithfulness. And if you are like me and you grew up in church, you've probably heard this story a thousand times, right? I, I remember Sunday school. I remember the felt board coming out and like the weird Bible characters and a little fire over here, right? I, I've heard this story so many times. I've seen vegetables act this out in a television show, okay? And they had cool nicknames, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. I was just kind of trying to get a poll in the room, right? And when I was a kid, like I remember asking crazy questions like, how do I do that? Right? How do I get thrown in a fire? Right? The question is really, how does God use me like that? How can I get God to use me like that? What do I have to do to get thrown in a fire so people recognize God? Right? What do I have to do? And Sunday school teacher never had the right answer for me. I just, actually, like, I don't know. That's probably not a great idea. Talk to your parents. Right? <laughs> but we ask crazy questions. Our faith is just like, what do I do? How do I do this? And then all of a sudden we get older and wiser. Well, we definitely get older. Not sure about the wise part, right? And something happens and we stop asking those crazy questions. Here's what I think happens. I think... I think that we live more life. And as we live more life, we experience more of those moments that feel like we're in a furnace. We go through more hard times. We go through more moments like Pastor Andy is going through right now, right? And the reality that we've learned is that through life, we don't always walk through the fire and come out unburned. There's usually still hurt. There's usually some sort of scar. It's not always the Sunday school beautiful story that we just read. Like sometimes, a lot of times... It hurts and it's no good and it doesn't feel good. And we don't always understand what's going on. It's like we just saying, even when I, when I don't see you, I still know you're working, right? It's those moments in our faith. And I think what happens when we get in those moments in our life, instead of asking the questions, how do I get thrown in a fire, right? How, how can God use me to do that? I think what we do is we tend to kind of avoid those situations as much as possible. And we come nowhere near asking that question because we know what it entails. We actually know the answer to the question, if we're honest. We have to be willing to draw a line and stand firm and say, watch what God's going to do. And so today, my hope is, as we look at this story, we can find our way back to that faith. 
at least take one step closer to that childlike faith that was just sold out, all in, bought into who Jesus is because of this relationship and what we knew he could do. And so the question I ask myself as I, as I read the story is, how do I move in that direction? How do I start that? And what I found is I, as I studied just this, this is just a moment in the life of these three guys, right? This isn't their lifetime. This isn't, this isn't everything that ever happened to them. This is just like a moment, a glimpse into their life. And what I've realized is it takes intentionality, right? It takes what, what, what I'm calling today drawing a line, right? It's that kind of drawing a line in the sand. And so let's look at their story, Daniel chapter 3, at the moment that they draw their line. We're going to pick up in verse 8. And just before this, just so you know, the, the statue has been built, right? And King Nebuchadnezzar, he's made the law that everyone has to bow down to this gold statue and all that. And I don't know if I turned this TV on or not. I, I could be wrong. Let me see. Wait a minute. Yeah, I did. Okay, there we go. We're good. Magic. Okay, so we're verse 8. All that's happened. The, the king's men have found out and they're going to tell on him. That's where we pick up in verse 8. It says this, But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound, and this is my least favorite part, and he lists all these instruments, of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and then he just says other musical instruments. Why don't you just lead with that, right? Verse 11, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Right? And so very clearly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have drawn their line. And they said, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. That's not something that I can do. We cannot bow down to this golden statue that you put up. And so just for kind of point of reference today, I want to talk about what I mean when I say drawing a line. This is actually a definition slash sentence slash I don't know what you would call this that I came up with a friend as we kind of talked through this idea at one point. And this is what we came up with. Drawing a line is this. What we will do and won't do based on our convictions not to be polluted, corrupted, influenced, or weakened by anything that would threaten to pull us away from full devotion to God. Full devotion to God. In other words, anything that would get in the way of this, that's where I have to draw the line. Anything that's going to pull me away from full devotion to who he is and who he's called me to be, that's where I've got to draw the line. And if it's outside of that, that's fine. I've, that, that's, that's not what I'm worried about because my faithfulness lies here. And it doesn't, li- it doesn't lie anywhere else. My, faithful, my faithfulness lies in who he is and who he's called me to be. And so if there's anything that that threatens to pull me away from that, that's where I have to draw the line. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do in this moment. But I want to point out something to you. I want to point this out. When you draw a line, right, when you draw a line, there are always people on the other side. When you decide, I'm going to draw a line, right, it's in the sand, so to speak, there's always other people on the other side. And the reason I highlighted people is because they're people, right, other humans, other people that were created, in God's image that he loves, that he gave his life for, right? There are other people on the other side of that line. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't draw the line. It just means we need to be aware that there are other people there. And here's the reason I think that's important. I think it's, I think it's important for quite a few reasons, but I'm going to share a couple with you. I think it's important to remember because first, notice verse 12. It says that the king had put them in charge of a province of Babylon. In other words, they were surrounded by this culture, they had titles. They were, I mean, they were pretty high up, 
in, in, in rank and all that kind of stuff. They were surrounded by this culture. They were surrounded by people who did not hold their convictions, their values, their beliefs, all that stuff. My guess is that, like, you know what that feels like. I know I know what that feels like. And I, and I think that sometimes we go, I, I don't want to be in that place. But the reality is you just can't avoid that. You can't avoid that. This is life. There are people who don't agree with you. I don't know if you know that, but we do not all believe the same thing. We don't all hold the same opinions and the same values and all those things. We are going to find ourselves in moments where we are surrounded by people who are not like us, who don't believe what we believe and all of that. But can I tell you the second thing? That's exactly where God wants you to be. That's exactly the people he wants you to see. He wants people in your life who, who you do agree with as well. He wants those to be the people that are closest to you. And you guys come together and you pray together and you do life together. And you go through all that together. But he also needs you to be in the world but not of the world. He needs you to be surrounded by people who do not hold your convictions. And you to have the faithfulness. And for me to have the faithfulness to say that's where I've got to draw the line. But remembering that when I draw that line on the other side, there are people involved. Because, see, I think it's really easy to just kind of pull the human element out and just focus on the I'm right, you're wrong side of things, right? If we're honest, we are all guilty of that. And I know because I can see most of your Facebooks, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry, that wasn't supposed to have been said, but I said it, so whatever. <laughs> it's really easy to focus on that. It's really, it's really easy to focus on the I'm right and you're wrong. When I think about this, I think about my kids. For those of you who don't know, I have a son, Andrew. He is, he's turning 12 next month. He starts middle school tomorrow. I feel so old just standing here now, right? Like, that's my son. And then we have a daughter, Ellie. She's six. She's going to turn seven this year. And they're completely different, right? And a few years ago, my son, he went through this phase. The only way I knew to kind of refer to it is this brother-dad phase. He wasn't really sure what his role was. And so just to give you an, an example, my daughter, she would, she's probably about three or four at the time. She'd be playing with a toy. It's time for dinner. It's time to clean up. I would take the toy. I'd put it away in the basket, kind of put it where it goes and say, okay, we need to be done playing with that now. It's almost time for dinner. And then I would leave to go do whatever I'm doing, probably go watch a show or something in the other room. And then, and then without fail, she would grab that toy and start playing with it again. And then brother dad would step in, Right. And he would just snatch it out of her hand and say, you're not supposed to be playing with that. And he put it away and he put it back where he goes, right? Was he right? Yes, he was right. Did my daughter fall to the ground and throw a tantrum for the next hour? Yes, she did, <laughs> right? So after spending the time consoling her, I go to my son and I, I have the same conversation I'd had with him a thousand times. Andrew, why don't you be the brother and I'll be the dad, right? At this point, it's escalated. He's gotten way better at it. But at this point, I just say, you help her get away with stuff. <laughs> And y'all get in trouble together when I come in the room, okay? Like, I want you to be the brother. You be the brother and I'll be the dad. And I think as a church, I think we're a little bit guilty of the same thing. I think that somehow we think that now that we know that the answer is Jesus, right? We, we go, no, 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 no. I'm gonna, I'm, let me step into dad's shoes for a minute and tell you how it's done. But that's not what he's called you to. He's called you to be good brothers and to be good sisters and to be faithful to who he is. And let him be the dad. And the question that kept rolling through my mind as I thought about this was just a what if question. I love what if questions because it's like you can dream on that, right? Like what if the church, instead of telling people that they're wrong, what if we told them they were forgiven? What if we told them that we had been forgiven? What if we just lived our lives in a way that they couldn't help but notice the grace 
I think that's what he's called us to be. I think that he's called us to be brothers and sisters that are faithful to their father. And so what I want us to realize as we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story is they didn't just draw a line to draw a line, right? They didn't draw a line to start some controversy or to prove a point or to say, no, we're right and you're wrong, right? They did not. I know it wasn't an option, but they did not get on social media and make a post, right? They didn't make a sign and stand out by the gold statue and just yell at everybody about how wrong they are. No, they got to a moment in their life surrounded by culture that they had been a part of, that they had been serving in and working in and, and all of those things. And they got to a moment where they had to say, sorry, that's where I've got to draw the line, right? Because they knew, have no other gods before me. They knew you can't, you can't bow down to, to, to an idol. They knew that. They knew that would pull them away from full devotion to who God is and who he's called them to be. And so they said, sorry, that's where we got to draw the line. And they were faithful. They were faithful. And that's what I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were faithful. And what's beautiful about it is, is the people that they were surrounded by, day after day after day after day after day, got to see their faithfulness lived out. And it wasn't because they wanted to prove a point. It was just because they were being faithful. That was their story. And I just tell you, and this, this isn't in my notes, so this could be good or it could be bad, but a quiet devotion is still a devotion. I, I would argue that a quiet faithfulness, it might be more powerful than a loud one. Because, see, the faithfulness isn't aimed at, at pointing to who you are. It's just, it's pointing to who he is and the greatness of who he is. And so if you're like me, which I, I guess every time y'all come in here, I'm kind of loud, but really, I'm a quiet person. <laughs> you guys are, are you sure, Matt? No. <laughs> I, I think there's power in a quiet faithfulness. I think there's something real about it that says, I, I'm actually being faithful to the thing that I say I'm being faithful to. And so that faithfulness day after day, it led them to this moment where God got to show up and rescue them because of their faithfulness, which is by far one of my favorite parts of the story. I love that God shows up. I love that there's this fourth dude in the fire. We, we don't know who was in there. I like to think it was Jesus. I also like to think they were talking about me. I don't think that happened, but I like to imagine that's what was going on, right? Like, I, I think they got to meet Jesus before everybody else, and they just hung out in the fire until the king had a realization that there were four people in there, Right? And they come out. I love, I love that God shows up and rescues them. But can I tell you what I love more? I love what happens as a result of their faithfulness. Right? Verse 28, we get, to, we get to see the king's response. This is what he says. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Now, that's powerful, but also not sure he completely gets it, okay? Not, not, quite, not quite there, but can I tell you he took a step in the right direction? He probably took a few steps in the right direction. But what I love the most about this verse is the way that he refers to the God of everything. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Their faithfulness didn't highlight them. It highlighted the God that they were faithful to, right? It highlighted the greatness of God. And here's the reality. Your faithfulness, your faithfulness highlights who or what you are faithful to. Your faithfulness highlights who or what you are faithful to. If you're, if you're faithful to a football team, guess what? You're highlighting that team. You're not highlighting your great taste in sports. Chances are it's not that great. The odds are not in your favor, right? When you are faithful to something, you are highlighting who or what you are faithful to. And so when you stand faithfully and draw your line and you are faithful to the God of everything, you highlight the greatness of who he is. And that's what we've been called to do. Draw your line out of faithfulness, not out of some sort of agenda. And I think about that. I think about, man, how cool would that be? How cool would that be if somebody referred to the one true living God, the God of everything that created everything, as the God of Matt? Has anybody ever had that happen before? I mean, if so, come on up because we need to have a talk, right? Like, really seriously think about it. What if somebody looked at your life and said, I don't know about the Jesus that I've, I've seen on, on random, you know, TV shows or the churches that I've been in or, you know, like that perfect picture of Jesus that hangs with the flowing hair and a lamb and all that. You know, like, I don't know about all that stuff. I don't know about the church. I don't know about Christianity. I don't know about all of that. But I'm really interested in the Jesus of, uh, of that person. I'm really interested in following the Jesus that, that she's serving or that he's serving, that they are serving. I want to know that Jesus because that Jesus seems a lot different than everything else I've heard about. What if people looked at your life and they saw the Jesus in you and they couldn't help but want to know more about him? That's what he's called us to. He's called us to live a life of faithfulness and devotion to who he is and the greatness of who he is. And not to highlight our lives, not to highlight our faithfulness, but to highlight the greatness of who he is. And can I just pause there? I'm going to step on toes today because I didn't have time to prepare and make this nice and soft. So we're just going to, we'll fight afterward. Is that okay? Not really. There's a back door. I'll run. <laughs> I think the church, I think we believe that. Can I just tell you, we know how to draw a line. Church worldwide, we have figured out how to draw a line. The problem is we're good at drawing lines for about three things. And the world knows about those three things. I'm not even going to mention them because then we'll We'll divide the church in the room because we're probably on different sides of it in the room, right? But there are these huge, there's these huge things that somehow have been tied to politics in some way. And we say, I'm drawing a line for that thing. And I'm digging my heels in. Because that's wrong. And you're wrong if you think that. And can I tell you, I think, I think it, now, if you're communicating in that way, that's wrong. Don't do that, okay? I think it's good to draw draw those lines and to stand firm on those things that we believe and be faithful not to that thing, not to that cause, not to that mission, not to that political party, however that got affiliated with anything, right? Be faithful to who he is. Be faithful to God and the lines that he has asked you to draw. And this is... This is from the outside looking in at the church, okay? I just want you to get a glimpse at what people see when they look at the church. And I'm not talking about if we had a window into upward. I hope that is not the case. But just church worldwide, what people see when they see the church. They see a group of people who are willing to draw lines for about three things, and they will dig their heels in, and they will not bow down. 
But then over here, there's a whole list of things that God has drawn lines for that we bow down to every single day. We'll bow down to our pride. We'll bow down to the envy. We'll bow down to the lust. We'll bow down to the gluttony. We'll bow down to the gossip. We'll bow down to And I could keep going and going and going, but there's a countdown in the back and I have to stop. We are messed up. You don't get to be faithful to this one mission, to this one thing, to this one cause, to this, this one thing that you feel very passionate about, and then bow down to everything else that he's asked you to be faithful in your life to. As a church, it's time that we stop being faithful to the things that, that we've been, if we're being honest, we've been kind of manipulated into thinking. Those are the big things. They are big things. They're huge things because God has asked us to be faithful in those things. But he's called us to be faithful in these things too. He's called us to stand firm for everything, to be faithful to who he is, to all the things that would pull us away from being fully devoted to who he is. And it has, it has nothing to do with everybody else on the other side of the line and everything to, where, with, to do with where you are and what this relationship looks like. Your faithfulness will always highlight who or what you are faithful to. May it point to Jesus. May our desire be that our faithfulness point to Jesus and the greatness of who he is and what he wants to do and what he has done. That's who he's called us to be, church. And I think that you'll find as you're faithful that he's way more faithful to you than you ever could have imagined. He's so much more faithful to you than than you could ever be to him. So let your life highlight who he is. And that leads me to my favorite part of this story. King Nebuchadnezzar, he finds out that they, they are not bowing down, that they're not going through this. They tell on him, and he has them brought before him, and he gives them one more chance to kind of cross their line. In verse 15, this is what it says. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made. When you hear the sound, thank you, of the musical instruments. <laughs> but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? He thinks he's awesome, doesn't he? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And I love that they say your majesty. And then this is my favorite part right here. But even if, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. They had an even if kind of faith. See, this is the type of faith I think we need to strive for, an even if kind of faith. In other words, even if he doesn't show up the way that I want him to, still I'm going to praise you. Even if, even if I end up being wrong and they end up being right, God, I'm still going to be faithful to who you are. Even if I look dumb, I'm still going to, I'm still going to follow you. They had an even if kind of faith. And so again, they draw their line in the sand, standing firm, knowing who they serve and what he is capable of. But even if he doesn't show up and do what they want, they said, I'm not bowing down. I'm not bowing down to that statue because I know it will pull me from full devotion to who, who he is. And I think the way that we apply that to our lives is this. It's, it's not to follow Jesus because of what he can do for you. Follow Jesus because of who he is to you. Don't follow Jesus as some get out of hell free card, right? Or to get into heaven free card. Or, uh, you know, I need miracles in my life free card. Don't follow him for what he can do. 
Follow him because of who he is to you, which begs the question, who is he to you? And I know that you're hoping I'll answer that for you, but I don't know who he is to you. Who is Jesus to you? Is he baby Jesus at Christmas? Is that, is that the extent of this to you? Is he somebody that we read about in Scripture? Is he, is he some prophet? Is he this like, really smart guy that came and taught? He did some cool magic tricks. Like, who is he to you? Or is he crazy? Or is he a liar? Or is he exactly who he said he is? Is he, is, he, he's, is he the God that came down to become man in the middle of our mess? To feel our hurt, to feel our pain, to go through all of our guilt and all of our shame and all the things that we experience in this life. All the furnaces that we have to walk through. Did, did, did that God who became man come down and go through all that and then, and then go to the cross and die on that cross to pay for the, the punishment for our sins and all of our mistakes because he lived a perfect life? Is that the Jesus that you know? Is the Jesus you know the Jesus that, that got buried when he died and then three days later defeated death, stormed the gates of hell, took the keys, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God? Is that the Jesus that you serve? Is that, is that the Jesus that you know? Is that the Jesus that's here that, that, that you commune with, that you have a relationship? Is that who Jesus is to you? And my guess is most of you believe that's who Jesus is, but is that who he is to you? What about your life says that's who he is to you? And I know that's a loaded question because I, I think the honest answer is sometimes. Sometimes that's who he is. How do I take a step into saying, I want to be faithful to you constantly. I want to follow you because of who you are and not because of my circumstances. And here's the deal. I know that our culture is not so far gone that any of us are probably ever going to have to face being thrown into a furnace, Okay. But I also know that we are going to come into moments in life where we need to have an even-if kind of faith. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 tells us, like almost promises and guarantees us we're going to have to. He says this, these trials will show that your faith is genuine, right? That it's real, that it's an even-if kind of faith. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. In other words, your faith will be tested by this life and the situations of this life. And your faithfulness in these moments is going to highlight the greatness of God. But when Jesus comes back, his greatness, his return is going to highlight the greatness of who you are and your faithfulness to him. And so I don't know about you. I want to have an even if faith. I want to have a faith that leads me to that moment where I stand before him and he says, well done. Well done. It's an even if faith. It's an even if, even if that cancer comes back. I still believe you and I'm still faithful to you. Even if, even if my wife leaves me, I'm still going to be faithful to who you are. Even if my heart hurts, because of loss, I'm still going to worship you. I'm still going to praise your name. Even if I lose my home and my car and everything in my life, I'm going to worship you. Even if I have nothing left but who you are, Jesus, I'm faithful to you to the end. I'm all in because where else would I go? Because I know who you are and who you are 
to me. It's an even if kind of faith. In fact, Jesus, he had a faith just like this. Just before he was about to go to the cross and give his life for us, he prays. He says, Father, if you can, take this cup from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Right? In other words, even if you can't, I'm still in. And I think about that and I go, what was he being so faithful to? Why did he have an even if kind of faith? What gave, what gave Jesus the strength to, to, to have that even if faith? And my favorite verses in all of scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, they tell us why. It says, therefore, right, which means make sure you read the chapter before. It's really important. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, and he, he lists off a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith in the chapter before that gave their lives for this faith because they knew who Jesus was and they believed in who Jesus was, that he wasn't a liar, but that he was exactly who he said he was. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and run the race with endurance. And then I love it because the author tells us exactly how to do it. We do do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured a cross. And I, I love that part right there. For the joy set before him, he endured a cross. And I used to think it was the next part uh, of the verse that was the joy that was set before him, right? Because then it says, who is now seated at the right hand of the, of the Father Almighty, right? He's now in heaven. And I used to think that was the joy that was set before Jesus on a cross, and I still remember the moment when it just hit me that, no, wait a minute. He left that spot to come here. He was already seated there. He was already in that place. And he left that to come here and be in our mess and our guilt and our pain and our junk. And still somehow he went through all of that and he had an even if faith and he hung on the cross. And there was some sort of joy that was set before him on that cross. What was that joy? What was that joy? And I remember when it hit me. I mean, it just washed over me, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a promise of eternity. It was a possibility of a relationship with me. What? A possibility of a relationship with you. That's what held him there. That's what gave him his even if faith. Hear me, hear me. His faithfulness to you is what held him there. It's what helped him push through. It's what helped him keep going because there was a possibility of a relationship with you. That's where he derived that faithfulness from. And here's what hit me this week in preparing for this. I, I, hope, it, I hope this makes sense because it hit me so hard. His faithfulness to us in that moment, it didn't highlight his greatness because your faithfulness highlights who or what you're faithful to. And in that moment, he was faithful to you. He was faithful to you. He was faithful to me. He was highlighting me. He was saying, this is how much you're worth. This is your value. And so he said, if this is what I got to do, I'll do it. Because I really want a relationship with you. And if that doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks... Here's the point. You're loved. And you will never 
not be loved. He will always be faithful to you. He will always be faithful to you. And I have no doubt in my mind that there are people in this room, there are people that are watching online right now, and you're going, my life is so messed up. There is no way that I can get on that track for him to want anything to do with me. And I I just want to look at you and I just want to say, are you serious? Do you really think he went through all of that and that bothers him? He's all in. He's just waiting for you to go, okay, I'm in. I I just want to know that Jesus. And so if that's you today, I'm just going to ask you to be really bold. Church, if you would, can we just close our eyes and bow our heads? And if you're here today and that's you, and you would say, I, I don't know about all the stuff I've ever heard about Jesus. I don't know what I feel about the church. I don't know what I, what I feel about even what we're doing in this place today. But I do know that I want something to do with that Jesus. I do know that I want a relationship with that Jesus. And I don't know where to start. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how I'm going to have conversations. But I know I, know I want to give it a shot. I know I want to try. I want to know that Jesus. And so this morning, if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to be really bold. This isn't a chance for us to embarrass you. This is a chance for us to celebrate with you. Nobody's looking around, but I just want to ask you, if that's you, you're ready to make that decision to say yes to a relationship to Jesus. Not not yes to a, a membership at a church or yes to some sort of tradition or religion, just yes to a relationship with Jesus. Would you be so bold as to just slip a hand in the air so we can celebrate with you this morning? Awesome. Awesome. We're, uh, we're going to pray in just a minute, but church, I just want to ask one more question because I feel like I can't be the only one who feels like when I made that decision, I made it for that reason. I made it because of that relationship, because I wanted to be faithful to that Jesus who did what he did on a cross for me and for no other reason. But somehow over time, it's gotten tied to the religion and it's gotten tied to the tradition. And it's gotten tied to showing up at a place at a certain time. And it's, it's become less and less about who he is and the faithfulness I have in him. And so I just want to ask you, church, is there anybody here today who would say, I, I just want to get back to that place? I just want to get back to that relationship with Jesus. Is that, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Awesome. Hands everywhere. I love it. I love it. Church, can I just beg you, can we live that out? Can we please live that out? I wish you knew how much it would change the world, how much it would just change our community if a church full of people said, I'm just going to be faithful to God. I'm going to be faithful to God in every situation in my my life. Will you all pray with me? If you, if you made that decision to follow Jesus, I'm just going to ask you, if you would, to, to just repeat this prayer after me. The church is going to help us. They're going to pray with us. But just say this. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm messed up. I know I have sinned and I have fallen short. But I come to you today and I surrender. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no plan I have no agenda other than getting to know you. And so today, I accept your forgiveness. And I accept who you are. And I accept you into my life. Can we have a relationship, please? 
We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I think about, uh, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or actually, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah standing on that line. And I go, what really, what really was their even if? What really held them there? And I think it was their faithfulness to God. But I think they also had some scripture written on their heart. I think they knew it. And there's one verse in particular from the Old Testament that I tend to think they had, they were clinging to in that moment. And so I just want to speak that over your life as a blessing today. And so if you're willing, would you just hold your hands up to receive that? I want to speak that over you, but honestly, I want to speak it over Pastor Andy and his family as well today as they sit in the middle of that moment and remind you of this truth that God speaks over you today. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And my hope is that you will write that on your heart. And that as you go through those moments in this life, and as you stand kind of at that precipice and you have to draw that line, your faithfulness and the words that you write on your heart would give you the strength to persevere and to have an even if kind of faith. And so I bless you with that this morning. And now I commission you to go out of this place and be his church, not for a cause, not for a mission, but because of your faithfulness to who he is and who he's called you to be. Upward, we love you. We're so grateful for you and we cannot wait to see you next week. So we will see you then. Y'all have a good day. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.